Welcome back to the Meathead Podcast with your host Brian and Kirby. I would like to apologize to everyone for the hiatus on the completely on me for that. Just overwhelmed with sheer depression of how the season was going and then just work getting in the way of stuff, not having enough time to divulge and provide good content. So I do apologize for the slacking off on that. But here we are with the new regime in place, getting ready to talk about the thoughts on the hirings of Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, and then Fields' comments today on how he thought about the regime. Think of the Ryan Poles hire. Um, I I didn't know what to think when it happened. I I think when when the news was coming out about the three finalists, I was kind of you know none of them were sexy names at all. Um, you know we didn't know much about polls. Uh, we didn't know. I mean, really, any of the the GMs outside of the the guy from um, Pittsburgh. Um, you know, and the guy from Indianapolis, like none of them were really, really that sexy, especially considering that, you know, at one point in time, I know it was pure speculation, but, you know, we were talking about possibly getting, um, what's his face? Um, uh, former quarterback. Why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, yeah. Peyton Manning is our GM. Um, you know, and some other big names that, you know, were in fact football guys, you know, that it was like, all right, we're going to get a GM in place that knows how, like what a champion knows how to put together a championship uh, team because they've either been a part of the team or, you know, have been connected to to previous championship teams. So um, when they picked up Ryan Poles, it was, I was neither happy nor was I, you know, mad, if you will. Um, just because it was just kind of out of nowhere. And it, 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 to me, it was just, you know, I don't know. It, it, I guess in terms of, of the approach that George and Ted and the McCaskies have used in their hiring through all of these years and everything, it kind of felt on par with picking someone who was under the radar that they were going to take a chance on, um, you know, that had some success either in recruiting or, you know, was a name that was known within smaller circles, but not something that us as fans would have been chanting for for the longest time uh, in terms of, of hiring a GM. And, you know, the, the the coaching candidates that they had at the same time, it was, it was kind of, I think, Bears ownership is kind of tone, not tone deaf, but I, I guess they just, when it comes to the, the cries of their fans and what's going on, um, they obviously they, they don't listen. Um, so I think it was, it was on par with the approach that the McCaskies have taken uh, since forever, since I can remember in their hiring. So, out of the three finalists, I was hoping that it would be polls. Commodity last year, there was much talk about him getting a job last year. And that didn't happen. Sure. You know, like, reports one saying, oh, oh, he was the guy, but the Bears stole him. So they went with the guy from the Browns. And then there's a 
They never, never wanted him. They wanted the dude from the Browns. So it's like, you're never going to get the true story on that one. But like, just knowing that he's respected enough that he almost had the Carolina. And then that multiple teams, it wasn't just the Bears and Vikings that were interested in him. I mean, anyone that had a head or a GM opening was interested in him. So that gave me more, I guess, faith in that pick. You know, I wanted, which, like Rick's most high, highly thought of name on that list because of what he did with getting Watson and rebuilding them until his wife got sick and he stepped down. But at the same time, like, you know, really besides Watson, like, I know they had like Marcellus and that, but it's like, how many big have that he was a part of, you know? And same with the other GMs. Like, I kind of look at picks that they were a part of to see, like, okay, can you bring that to us? And out of all of them, you know, Poles was directly connected. As you said today, like it wasn't, wasn't a me decision it was a effort which you know using the word collaborative but it was a group effort to single these guys out and make it happen and that seems like that's what he wants to bring here where to me it always seemed like pace was just a, i'm picking who i want the consensus pick of yeah because if that, that was the case we never would have had trubisky the story could be totally different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I guess it, and and Ted and and George's defense, I guess, is that it was not the exact same as when we picked up Ryan Pace. You know, but I still think there's this air of arrogance that they have when it comes to the fans, the Chicago Bear fans, where it's like, you know, and, you know, you, George has admitted, right? He's not, he's a, he's a football fan like the rest of us. It's not like he has this, you know, this deep football insight. And so given that you all, you have to listen to all the rest of the fans, your, your co-fans, if you will, I think a little bit more when it comes to some of the personnel decisions, especially given your, your history of, making personal decisions and coming up short, you know, I wish there would have been a little bit more of uh, widening the pool. You know, I think, you know, like to your point, he did come out of left field. So it's, it's less of, Hey, this is my guy. I'm not listening to anyone, but instead of just focusing, being laser focused on the guy that he wanted, it was, I'm being laser focused on my process and this pool of applicants rather than, thinking outside of the box. And I'm not trying to make the argument that, you know, uh, owners, team owners should always listen to their fans, uh, you know, who, who the fans want. Um, but I think at the same time, given his own admission about his shortcomings as someone who evaluates things on the football side of things, that at some point in time, you need to tap into other resources to get that insight. And it just seems like, the fans, which is which are which is, I mean, obviously, when it comes to other teams and other owner, owners, you know, some of the most successful franchises, 
that happens a little bit more, you know, with the fans are actually listened to and not, you know, kind of relegated to this, well, forget them, we're going to do what's best for the team. The fans are technically a part of the team, you know, I, I, you know we're part of the, I mean, we're paying the, the ticket prices and, and buying merchandise to support your $4 billion organization. So I think, in my opinion, and I know this might be, you know, not not the most popular opinion, but in my opinion, I wish that George would have given given a little bit more credence, a little bit more weight into to what the fans were demanding, especially in light of the fact that we've been bad for so long, and the fact that George has made so many bad mistakes for so long that you know, okay, cool, you know, whether it was at the GM level, you know, opening it up, so fans have been talking about Peyton Manning for forever, which may have not even been a possibility. They may have had that conversation, you know, internally. We we don't know. But I think being more transparent about it, bringing in people that like, okay, cool, you know, we're hearing what you're saying, we're taking into account the needs of the team. Here's what we have, you know, and like I said, at the GM level and you know, at the coach, coaching level, you know, when it comes to to, to Harbaugh, you know, which is is uh, there's been mixed reports about whether the Bears did or did not talk to Jim Harbaugh. It's neither here or there at this point since we hired Eberflus. But I think listening to fans a little bit more, taking 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 into account what they're saying when it comes to some of these personnel uh, uh, decisions instead of just blowing them off and then getting into a press conference and being like, well, we just did what we wanted. You know, that's just – it just doesn't feel good as a fan. So, Well, I think the one thing that a lot of people can, like, I guess, hope soften that and help show that this process was different was – I mean, David Kaplan, I believe, was the one that uh, said he had in the Bears organization that told him that the GM search and coaching searches had started mid-season, but they were not conducted by the team, which is why they brought in Pullian. Pullian had no affiliation, so him talking to anyone is just him talking. It's not... It's not a tampering issue. So Polian was doing his homework on all these people, and I'm sure reaching out to just countless, countless people, and then nar- brought in a narrowed down list of you know like the 13, 15 people. I mean, he could have talked to Manning. I mean, he brought in how many Indianapolis guys? Yeah, but we won't know. But I, I feel that this process, like ever since Polian told them to fire pace to start over that he's pretty much brought them the pool and then they all work through to sort it out so I think that that is more promising I guess you know yeah it's not fan involved I wish they would you know still check out Lewis Riddick like why'd he only get one interview last year with Detroit, you know, what's going on with him? I think it's very damning that he didn't even interview the enemy who, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's this great dude, but like he couldn't even get the interview from his guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the, the issue overall, man, is, is, you know, less of like fan involvement, like I was you know, kind of alluding to, but more just the transparency of it all, man. I just think that, 
you know, again, there, there, there is this tendency on the part of Bears ownership to kind of be closed. Um, you know, it's, it's like, cool, we raise all this money. We're a $4 billion franchise. We raise all this money based on the support of our fans, you know, and, you know, having a good home base. But when it comes to like, hey, getting fans involved, you know, talking about and being transparent about personnel decisions, even today, like in the press conference, they were talking about salaries and everything, which is to me not that big of a deal, revealing what your, you know, your coach and um, your GM are, make, are making or how long their their uh, their contracts are. But it's things like that where it just makes it frustrating as a fan. It's like, all right. It'd be one thing if, if we were the Packers, for instance, and we were winning consistently or whatever, and the top of the, the, the North year in and year out, um, you know, and they weren't being transparent. Because then we could put some faith in, like, okay, cool, they're making decisions and doing things that we, doing things that we can trust. But we've been on the bottom for so long and nothing has changed. So, therefore, it's like, why aren't you being transparent? Why aren't you showing us that you're doing better as an organization to put us in a place to win as opposed to just continuing the script. And then when, when the media and fans start asking questions and it's like, no, we got it under control. Don't worry about it. We're not going to give you any more information. That's what's frustrating to me. So because they don't understand that they just, you know, they're, they're not the front office people that run the show. They're fans. They don't get, that and they came I don't even feel like they can call themselves like as you point out that fans want like you as a fan should realize this but they're a different style of fan of they're a fan of making the money from having the team not the team success like I don't think it's any sweat off their back if they win or lose but I don't know I mean I just think they're just too dense to know what's going on. Yeah, no, nah, they're they're too dense and they're they're unwilling to budge from tradition. Um, which again goes to the point and I think the last couple of podcasts that we had way back when we kind of touched on is that, you know, when it comes to making this franchise a successful franchise, it goes deeper than just bringing in a GM, an assistant GM and a new coach. Um, you know, it's, it's, we know, we know where some of these issues are, uh, just in terms of the, the past bad practices, you know, I think they, they, they sit in the laps, it sits in the laps of the Caskey family for a lot. Um, you know, with, uh, I mean, obviously this team shortcomings, so I mean, you, you, you cycle people in and out. We've, you know, brought in coaches who, you know, have had previous coaching experience, you know, have been to Super Bowls, have won the Super Bowl. We brought in guys that were "quote unquote" offensive gurus or quarterback whispers and Nagy and, and uh, Tressman, and you know the constant through all of these personnel changes has been ownership in in Ted, to be quite frank. So, yeah. um, you know, I think the 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 real root of the problem, you know, is is that the organization needs needs a change. Now, I want to give this new regime a chance. You know, I say that with the caveat that, you know, this new regime, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, I think Owen Kruitz, you know, and, and, and you know, some others in the media have, have spoken on it, you know, about their cautious optimism. I, too, am cautiously, cautiously opt- optimistic, but mainly because it's, it's a change in scenery slightly. 
um, in terms of bringing some new faces in. So that's something to be, you know, somewhat excited about. But, you know, we'll see what this recipe looks like when we, we pull it out of the, uh, the, the oven, if you will, uh, because, you know, it's it's it sounds good. You know, like I said, the, the new faces look good. I mean, outside of, you know, some of the, I think the media shortcomings, I think, I think both, Poles and Everflus need some 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 definite media training and Everflus with his word salads, uh, word, word salads that are reminiscent of, of uh, Matt Nagy's. Um, but I think you know, I, in terms of them implementing their philosophies and putting it together on Sundays, we'll see what happens uh, during the season in the draft. Quite frankly, um, how they take the the draft on this year with us not having a first round pick, so. Yeah, I mean, you have to be optimistic. I mean, there's no other way to be. If if you're not at least optimistic, then what? Because, you know, I mean, look at how bad Cleveland had been forever. Look at how bad Cincy had been, you know, and yet here they are. They turn around. Whether or not they're both completely right, it's impossible to say, but... It can be done. I mean, everyone was calling for uh, Cincy's coach, I think it's Zach Taylor, to be fired like last year, the year before. And mm-hmm. at Burrow, then they got Chase. Their offense is still not the best with offensive line, but you gave him a chance. See what happens. Well, now, like you have to. Otherwise, why be a fan? And until they do something to prove that they don't deserve it, I'm going to give them my faith being a new regime. I like the concepts. The... So, I mean, Eberflus, I watched uh, some stuff from that hard knocks on him, and he seems like he's a very high energy, high accountability guy, which I think we lacked. And if you make Eddie accountable, if he sits there and goes, if you don't do this, you are bent. I think Eddie needs that. I feel like he had way too much time to do his thing because he's like, I'm being paid whatever. And he wasn't being coached to be like, look, I'll cut you. <laughs> and I feel like Eberflus is the type of guy that will just be like, push my buttons and see. And they may need I was very optimistic by the fact that he's having a sole offensive coordinator and that he learned from probably Nagy that you need to focus on being the best head coach you can be. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, I think you, which is, has impressed me so far and in, in the few hirings that he's made and the people that have been rumored is that, um, you know, he it, it seems like he is, committed to kind of being the the overseer and less of the on-hands coach, both on the offensive side and the defensive side, which I think is promising, uh, which is a different approach than what we've had before. Um, you know, I think outside of John Fox, which I think John Fox was a facilitator, he was just a bad facilitator. But um, when it comes to, you know, a coach that oversees, it's his offense and his defense. But in terms of the facilitation, the play calling, getting players week in and week out, you know, and, and, and building up, you know, the, 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 the men on the field, and it, 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 he's taking a different approach. It seems like he's committed to taking a different approach, which, again, has me optimistic uh, for a lot. 
uh, just in terms of his coaching style. But, you know, the jury is still out, right? I think it's one thing to, to commit to wanting to do that, but then it's another thing actually being successful in doing that. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I, I do like the fact that he he has a lot of experience in, in, in some coaching staffs around the league, uh, has been successful as a position coach, was successful as a defensive coordinator, obviously, in Indianapolis. I do like that. So he has, I think, a broad view of how things should be run. But the main thing, you know, which a lot of people have brought up and talked about is, is you know, the facilitating part. But what are you going to do as a coach to help, help make sure that Justin Fields is successful outside of putting around the weapons around him in, in order to, to succeed? But in terms of his development, um, which, you know, whether you're, you're a hands-on coach or whether you're a facilitator, as a head coach, that's, that's responsibility number one. It takes a good quarterback to win games. Um, so we'll see what that relationship blossoms into and what he does um, with Justin Fields moving forward and, and how everything, um, you know, works. I, I kind of – I found it kind of odd during the press conference, when, especially when Justin Fields got up and spoke. Um, you know, I would have thought at this point because he, he was hired, what, last Thursday or something like that, like – you know, I thought he would, just based off of his intensity as a coach that he's come off as, and you know the different. I've seen the videos online too of him being a position coach and defensive coordinator. That he would have already been, you know, deep into things, um, you know, talking about you know different things and trying to explain his philosophy to Justin Fields. And I didn't really get that sense when Justin Fields talked about um, the conversations he's had so far with um, with Evil Foods. So we'll see. I mean, there's plenty of time, but we'll see. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but with their season technically being over, um, are the coaches allowed to like do that? I mean, like at the end of the year, like evaluations and that, which for teams not in the playoffs or Super Bowl, I don't know have have they already had those? Because I thought as soon as those were conducted, like coaches weren't really allowed to talk to players or anything until the technical new league year starts when when you get a new coach it starts like two weeks earlier I think or a week earlier for practices but I didn't think they were allowed to like communicate because of the collective bargaining agreement for like so I don't that I'm not sure that I'm not sure I mean I, I know there's definite definite stipulations there like in terms of the practice or having walkthroughs or doing whatever to where you're actually going out. But in terms of just having simple communication and talking about philosophies and talking about, I don't know. I just expected more. Cause if you remember Justin Fields conference, he just talked about, yeah, I just introduced myself to him and told him about who I was and things of that nature. I would have expected a little bit more in that conversation uh, or multiple conversations, um, you know, from, from just that. So I don't know. If that was that was limited, you know, per the, the collective bargaining agreement or anything, I'm not I'm not up and up on that. Um, but I just I just would have expected a little bit more uh, conversation to kind of hit the ground running, knowing that, you know, to my point earlier, your head coach, you know, priority number one is the development of your quarterback. You know, let's hit the ground running. Let's let's start to to develop this relationship like off the bat. You know, I'm hired, and within the day, I'm contacting my quarterback, making sure he's good making sure he has everything, 
telling telling them a little bit about myself and then telling them more about my philosophy you know and, and then plans for the future um and then also getting a sense of what his needs are as a quarterback as well you know like hey what what, what do you need from me as a coach um you know so that we can develop this 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 close bond in this relationship i think that's like I said, in terms of quarterback development, I don't know on a professional level, but, you know, when I was in college and high school, that's that's typically what head coaches did, you know, both head coaches and offensive coordinators. That's what they did. The, the, the quarterbacks were their guys. They took them out of their wings, you know, that they were, they were taking them out to eat, you know, when the rest of the team wasn't, wasn't getting uh, any meals or any attention from coach, the quarterbacks definitely were. So that's, that's, uh, you know, why I would have expected a little bit more. Again, don't know what stipulations there are in you know, the, the the bargaining agreement. I just I just would have expected more. So, yeah, and I mean it could be as simple as that. I I don't know. That's why I was asking if you had a clue on that. Mm-hmm. The hire of and my only thought why he wouldn't is because if he is a defensive minded guy, besides being like, hey, I'll help you through like what you may be seeing. He might not know. So he may be solely on Luke Getz to get him get him ready. Do all that. Like you tell me what you need, we're gonna make it type we're gonna make a happy guy. Um maybe that's what's going on. I mean, everything I've been reading says that you know Luke Getz is like a secret weapon that Green Bay had, which almost makes he had been the quarterback coach three seasons and out of those two this year's we'll see but he may win this year's MVP so out of the two years he's been like solely working with him as a quarterback coach his game elevated it seems I mean it could just be your system is that great but yeah that great like why isn't Jordan Love better you know why why wasn't his play calling any better uh, yeah. during that Kansas City game? Like he looked like he didn't even belong. I mean, he right. Nate Peterman esque type playing in that game. So it was like, yeah. well, was it? Is it only play calling that's making Rodgers better, or is it you know the dude that just took over the Denver job that uh, Nathaniel corner Hackett? Yeah, Hackett or. Yeah. Is it Luke gets also, but this dude's really, really good with doing that. And the only reason he left is he wants play calling duties. I mean, you know, LaFleur, where he was a great offensive mind. Yeah. By Sean McVay being the play caller. So he went to Tennessee and then he flourished and then he got his head coaching opportunity. You know, hopefully this is kind of a similar deal where this guy just needed a chance. Yeah, we'll see. I I hope that's that's the you know that that's what the situation is is that he just needed a chance and he's going to come to Chicago and you know be able to actually do his thing. But you know, I, uh, again, just being real about everything and looking at every at everything with a full lens. You know, I also have questions about you know. Hey, you were successful in Green Bay, but was that due in part because of Aaron Rodgers, or were you guys were you a part of implementing a system that actually is effective? You know, I think 
the evidence that is there is that I think it's the latter, maybe some of the latter, because to your point, just uh, not Justin Fields, uh, um, Jordan Love has not looked anything the the part of a starting NFL quarterback um, at all. Um, but you know, we'll 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 see. You know, I think time will tell, uh, especially if you know since he was handicapped. I think. And not even being the offensive coordinator, but, you know, not even having, you know, real play calling uh, uh, duties in Green Bay. Um, you know, he, he may have been handicapped in that sense. So this might be an opportunity for him to, like you said, blossom and grow and, you know, become a coordinator. But if that's the case, then, then we're possibly, which I think a couple of people have made the point, we're looking at within a year or a couple of years, depending on how successful he is with Justin Fields, having to replace him uh, again, which is, is not good, I think, for consistency's sake or Justin Fields' development's sake. So, um, you know, I'm kind of in the space where I'm like, yeah, I want him to do well. I want him to grow. You know, yeah, have us putting up 30 points a game uh, uh, once once he comes on board, but then that happens, and it's like, well, you know, we'll need another offense coordinator soon. Then, so, Yeah, but if that's what I was saying in the text chain is like, that's almost what you want though. Like you want to be able to, you know, rinse and repeat on your offensive coordinator and believe he would bring on quarterback coach and just promote the quarterback coach to keep running the same system. Like what, you know, new England does in them. Like they keep the same system. They change a little bit, not very much at all. They just change like, little details to keep up with the times but it doesn't matter who comes in they keep the same system so you know like even new england losing josh mcdaniels when they get a new oc it's not going to be a different system that we're not used to seeing it's not going to be like the new york jet system out there you know they're going to still keep doing what they do just insert new person here I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that. That's one reason that the Belichick tree doesn't thrive as well, I feel, is because it's almost impossible to duplicate that. Like, that's more an organizational thing, which if you want longevity, you almost have to hope for that. Or take a good system and you adapt it to you, and then you just tweak it to players. Yeah, the only the only issue with turnovers is one you have a philosophy change, right? So it may be the same system, but within that system, you can have a lot of different philosophies. So, say for instance, even uh, Eberflus, right? Like he came from a coaching tree that involves Lovey and um, uh, Rod Marinelli and you know some other defensive uh, greats. But I can guarantee you the way that he approaches and his his uh, you know philosophy. I even know off the bat just watching the interview so far is that he relies solely on his front four to get tackles and sacks, right? Which when you compare it to Lovey Smith, Lovey was not afraid to blitz. He didn't blitz often and all the time, but he wasn't afraid to send the linebackers he had uh, to get after quarterback. So same system, right? But just different philosophies. So I think it's okay in this thing. And I think it would, it, it would be okay long-term, but again, I think when you have, you know, now the quarterback entering his second year in the league who had, you know, a pretty up and down year because of the previous coaching regime, 
trying to create some consistency that you want someone who is going to be around, you know, not necessarily for the long term, because nowadays coordinators don't last very long because they just get scooped up either at the college level or professional level, um, like it's nothing, but at least someone that you can eventually pave the way and set the groundwork to having a system like they have in New England, right? So that when there is turnover, that you can just pick and place and, and pick and replace, but that's going to take time, right? I mean, Josh McDaniels has been there for forever. Um, I don't know who was in New England before Josh McDaniels at, at, uh, as, a, as an offensive coordinator, but I mean, it's been what two decades now, over two decades uh, for the the Patriots to, to develop that system. So, in order to get to that level, I think we're going to need a little bit more time than just a one and out, you know, at the offensive coordinator position for um, this new guy to come in. We, we're going to need at least a little bit more consistency so that we can take our time so that at the time that he does move on and, you know, either become a head coach at, at, uh, somewhere else in the NFL or, you know, at, at the, on the, in the college ranks that we can, you know, we can have at least something set up so that Justin Fields is not having to implement a new system a year in and year out. Because if you think about our past quarterbacks, Jay Cutler had to do that. Um, you know, uh, even uh, 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 Trubisky had to do that. Like our last three quarterbacks, probably even going back even further, but like we had to implement – those quarterbacks had to implement new systems. Um, whether it was a head coaching change or an offensive coordinator change, um, had to do that pretty regularly. So it would be nice to have a system finally set up where we don't have to do that year in, year out. So, But also, like, the main point of what I'm saying on that is just, like, that's a- if you don't have someone that's viewed as a head coach from one of your coordinator positions, then – to me, I would assume you kind of failed. Like you were middle act or lower that you're fine. Job right, right now because of his performance. You have no one in a year or two looking at Luke. To me, their field can't play or you built a back. And play calling, so of option. So, I mean, like, ultimately, you hope you can do people. Hopefully, you can because and hopefully, you can build the system quick. Because if you're not, then to me, I would take it as you're just middle of the pack, and you know, we're back to has been our entire fandom, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I, I think I agree. I mean, you you definitely want that in an offensive coordinator, but I think you would also want a coordinator to come in and be committed, you know, to the vision of turning the franchise around, you know, and being committed. Obviously, not to the point of like turning down offers to become, you know, the, the next coach of whatever team has a vacancy next year. Um, you know, as always, but I think as as a facilitator and as a head coach. What Iberfus should do is be able to express and implement a philosophy that has a staff committed to 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 achieving his vision for success in the Bears organization as as the Bears organization. So um, we'll see though. We'll see. Yeah. 
I mean, time will tell. I figure we'll just play it out and see how it goes. Um, I feel about this, but uh, I think we should, if more super good, like breaking news, I don't know if it'd be good or bad, like actually happens, we could go with another episode. If not, we could hold off until like free agency to cover any moves made then and discuss that. Uh, then we got the draft to recap on that so yeah it's an exciting time i mean i think i think we can either wait or we can continue the conversation obviously the staff has to be filled out we have speculation about what players that we need to draft uh, but even before the draft uh free agency uh you know who's available and and, and who can uh help us uh fill the needs that we have on offense and defense especially now um, given the fact that we're switching over to a uh, back to a four three, which I'm I'm actually happy about, um, you know, and also you know kind of like curious to see how this works out and if um, Poles is going to you know make some moves uh, on the defensive side of the ball like we've been talking about for months um, in terms of uh, flipping some contracts, uh, which I know is a different discussion, but I think I'm I'm on the 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 other side of things, I don't think he's gonna flip anybody immediately because there's just not a lot of value there yet. So um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot we can talk about and cover, um, you know, moving forward. So yeah, definitely. All right, Kirby. Well, I appreciate all your time, and I'll keep in touch with you and see when you want to hit this up again. All right, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, nice talking to you too, Kirby. I'll talk to you later. All right, see you.